Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Corner, the official podcast of PitcherList.com. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, joined fresh out of the stream by Nick Pollock. What is happening? Yes, fresh out of the stream like a good old salmon. Um, believe it or not, among my friend group, we have two teams. Uh, there is the Wasabi team, and then mm-hmm. there is Team Salmon. And I'm on Team Salmon, so we say as a crew, upstream. And we do a little thing. It. It's you know, because one team that. had pink cups, one team had green cups like 10 years ago. And Love this that. is just how we roll. Uh, my teammates in college called me Big Tuna. Oh, no. Because you were the gym? No, it was a little bit of the gym thing. And then there was like l- literally one day, I think like I had a phone call from my mom on speaker and she mentioned something about like whether I had gotten the shipment of tuna that my dad sent. <laughs> and it was like those two things combined and it was just... Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've certainly right. had my time of being called Jim or Big Tuna as well. So you can it really- was like my dad took it over from my grandpa. My grandpa... Uh, lived in Buffalo and he would go to Wegmans, which was before Wegmans made its debut in New York City. And sure. he would send me care packages of just like cans of tuna and a thing of <laughs> Twizzlers. And it was like, it's like, I mean, I loved it. I yep. ate it all, obviously, but it's a random pairing. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, what are we doing today, Eric? Yeah, we are going for, we're talking about super sleepers. Um, mm. Now, you know, we we know the term sleepers gets gets overused a lot. It is uh, catchy and trendy, so we're we're going to mention it here. Obviously, the the idea here is to talk about pitchers who we believe are being undervalued um, in current drafts from December first on. So you won't see just like guys outside the top three hundred. You will see some, but you'll also see some guys inside the top two hundred. Some guys between with ADPs between two and three hundred. The idea being, Nick and I believe that these pitchers are currently being you know, pretty heavily undervalued based on where we have them. Guys who, you know, might see their ADPs rise pretty considerably when we get to like February, March, etc. Um, so we're going to try to run the gamut for you um, and give you some some guys who are, you know, mid-round draft picks, late-round draft picks, or maybe just, you know, guys to, to watch or if you're in a really deep leagues. Um, and we're still thinking about this as, as redraft purposes. So these yes. aren't like, you know, for draft and hold leagues, you know, these are... Um, kind of more redraft focused 100 percent. so and yeah we look again that as eric mentioned sleeper is whatever it is at this point some we say quote as a sleeper could very well change as we go on we just kind of see this as uh some guys that we think aren't really getting the love that they deserve mm-hmm. and we want to give them some love yeah and we got five guys so we have five uh they're not tiers but five categories Um, and I'm switching it up on the fly because as I just said something I had an idea um, and I think the the care package is drastically underrated Um, and I do believe that that's part of the reason why Amazon does so well is people just really like to open stuff in the oh, mail, the man. You know, it is so, so good. Yeah. So I want to know. We're going to go through the five things that you like to open in the mail the most, <laughs> um, and they can be things that you have opened, like somebody used to send you sure. X in the care yeah. package, mm-hmm. or just like generally speaking. You know, I love when I order. Like for me personally, I still get like I will order used books online. Yeah, books um, are the best ones. And yeah. unwrapping a like a, I still like get actual tangible books, not like a Kindle and unwrapping one that I know I'm going to like dig into in, in the next couple of days or weeks yeah. is like a really, I like it. I enjoy it. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, but you could go childhood or current. So um, give me one thing that you, you love unwrapping, and then we'll talk about your first picture. I'm going to say the, the first one that came to mind. When I was about like eight years old, I, I was someone who really just loved like activity books where there were like puzzles and like mysteries mm-hmm. and things that weren't just like a story. It's like I actually needed to figure it out myself. Um, and anything that was interactive in this way and gave me things to do. And on a certain page, there were like more things than just one question or whatever. It was like other stuff in it. There were some really good ones like that. And there was this one that um, that my mom signed me up for or whatever. Maybe I was like 10 years old or something. That they would send once a month this book that was like its own massive puzzle and its own thing. And I cannot tell you how many times I would come home from school and ask if that thing arrived. Mm-hmm. and it was the greatest package ever. Then my mom realized that it was a certain amount for every month as opposed to like for the year, and we couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, And that was it, and I can't even tell you what it was. I can't, I don't remember the name of it. I just remember how excited was it, I was opening this every single time. Was and it that's Highlights? How I no, no, no. Hi, hi, okay, because oh. Highlights is still oh. super popular. No, no, no. That, you have them for all Highlights ages is not close even to close to what this was. Okay. It, it, that's, uh, that's not, no. How dare you? <laughs> I apologize. How hopefully, dare you? Hopefully my reaction to your first picture is not as offensive to you as, as my reaction to your... Well, marriage. I'm going to give you the uh, the one that you assumed that I would choose. No, um, it was a given. Yeah, it's Shane Boz. And there's been a lot of conversation, I think, uh, that I've had with people when I mentioned, you know, I put them in, what, like 29 or something or 30 mm-hmm. in my October rankings. And... Sure, I'm probably gonna be a little bit lower on that than uh, than you know when I put out my top 300 in a month or so. But I want Shane Boz everywhere. I mean, I don't know. I understand he's coming back from Tommy John. Oh no, that's scary. But this was a guy who had two absurdly good pitches before he got injured. Was able to throw strikes with them. Had a really good um, uh, wind up in mechanics that would speak to being. Uh, sub 8% walk rate guy um, was also developing a third pitch well that we all loved like this is clearly a guy made to be high quality per inning the biggest pushback is how much are the Rays actually going to let him pitch which is an understandable question it is the Rays what I will say is okay it's 140 that's the traditional thing we see from a guy coming back from Tommy John and it's quality every time I want that there is something to be said it's 191 ADP we're looking at NFBC it's harder to deal with injured guys or guys with lower amount of volume because of course you're going to, uh, you don't have the IL spot and you can't really do like the same burn and churn almost. Uh, but in 12 teamers, I don't know. I think the Rays are going to start Boz right away and maybe there'll be a dip mid season or something like that. But the mm-hmm. quality of inning that I think you're going to get from Boz is just too good for me to pass up on. And you're going to feel so much FOMO not having him. And at 191 in your drafts, it's well past that secure four I'm talking about. Yeah. You're so far past that. Uh, this is like SP six or seven at that point in your 12 teamers. So I'm very, very in at the 191 price tag for Shane Boss. That's just too good to be true. I love the price tag because I am with you in my belief in the overall talent and I'm super nervous about the role and the innings. And at this price tag, at this price point, like I don't really have to be nervous about it because I'm not drafting him to be one of my top three or four pitchers. So the role of the dice um, is great. And you and I both have him ranked higher than um, than where this indicates he go. Uh, for me right now, I moved him down a little bit off the last time. 
we talked, um, but now I'm like, where is he in my rankings? Oh, I have him thirty. <laughs> I have him thirty four in the okay. Bri- in the Brian I, Wu range. Yeah, I haven't um, uh, made a decision yet of any of right. my actual but, refinement. I'm just going through all the rotations yet. So that but what I mean I is have. like when I do some of these mocks, like when we did the pitcher list mock, when we did the Roto mm-hmm. World mock, like. There are all the times where if I go by my rankings, I'm like, okay, this is where I should take Shane Botts. And I'm like, well, obviously I'm not going to take him right now because he's going 100 picks after this. And then you do the anxiety dance of like making a pick and waiting to see if he gets back and making a pick and waiting to see if he gets back. But the talent's there. I love it. Yeah, it's such a weird thing that we do with that, right? Of like, sure, we have this guy ranked above, but also we recognize that the room doesn't do that. Right. So can we get greedy as much as possible? It'll, um, it'll be an interesting yeah. thing for us to talk about as we get closer to the season with drafts is my my personal biggest weakness is that I wait too long, is that I I look at that gap and I say, oh, well, I'm higher on this person than the rest, and maybe I shouldn't pull the trigger right now, and I wait and I, and I miss, and I don't get that person. Um, right. But we can, we'll get to that when you do draft strategy. Um, my the pitcher I have first is another person we talked about before, and it's interesting because I I was in on him before he recently got traded. And that's Chris Sale. Yeah, um, also about Chris Sale currently going 181. Um, I do expect that to rise now that he's with the Braves. Um, uh, Alex Anthopoulos has joined the like can't do anything wrong <laughs> here, where like whenever he makes a move, everybody's like, oh, this guy's a genius. Um, and so Chris Sale has some of that rub off on him, where I think that. You know, rather than the Red Sox organization, which now everybody's like they can't do anything right. So sure. I do think even that per, per, uh, perceived uh, change in in organizational value is going to boost the ADP. Um, and then team context is better. But he's currently going starting pitcher forty nine. Um, I still have him as my starting pitcher twenty six. Um, oh wow! And it's, it's super aggressive. And every time I think I'm going to move him down, and then I look at what he did last year and I look at who I'm ranking behind him and they're all guys who have just as much uncertainty as Chris sale. And it's just whether they're like young and uncertain or, you know, whether it's like, you know, um, you know, Michael King's uncertainty or, you know, things, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. Um, Chris sale last year through 102 and two thirds innings, uh, 430 ERA, um, not great. One, one, three whip solid, uh, 22.6 strikeout minus walk ratio, which I really like. 13.2 swinging strike rate, which I really like. Uh, 31.5% CSW, which I like. A 37.3% ICR, which is pretty good. Um, the Sierra was 3.5. So a, a lot of the underlying metrics really like what he did. When you look at um, like his heat maps, when you look at, you know, start digging in on the, the granular pitch level, there are a couple things that like really stand out. And I think it's, it's a lot of it is control oriented. Um, mm-hmm. the, the command of the fastball was bad. Um, not only zone rates on the fastball, but like letting the fastball go middle, middle too much, not getting the fastball in on, on righties. He threw the fastball in on righties um, 26.1% of the time. It was, you know, sub 10%, uh, 10th percentile. Um, I know you love your your IVB. It's you're not going to find Ew. it here. No, um, <laughs> but for for me, I I'm I am willing to say this is a pitcher who prior to this year had thrown a combined total of uh, 48 innings since 2019, and 
there's an understandable likelihood of rust. Um, the swing and miss on the pitches were was particularly good. If the location improves, as we've seen from him just in his career, then I think you're going to mitigate some of the damage that was done. And even like a 430 ERA isn't bad. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a I think that there's a strong likelihood that we're getting a three seven three eight ish ERA from Chris Sale with strong strikeout numbers on a much better offense. Um, and the um, I think the command will also help an issue he had last year, which is that he gave up a career high um, fly ball rate. Um, his fly ball rate last year was 43.5 and a half. His career is 36%. Um, and I really do think if you look at his heat maps and you look at his control of his pitches, leaving the ball middle, middle is obviously going to lead to more fly balls because guys are going to be able to turn on it a little bit more. Um, and he also didn't get his change up down as effectively as before, things like that, which will lead to more fly balls. And I understand that some of this is wish, wish casting, um, but it's saying that under the surface, he pitched a lot better than you might think by looking at like numbers just like ERA. And yeah. I think that there's enough of a track record where I think he's not going to be old Chris Sale, but he's going to bridge the gap between old Chris Sale and 2023 Chris Sale. I don't know. <laughs> That's my answer to all of that is uh, I worry about things. I mean, are you worried at all about like the changing velocity? Throughout the entire season last year, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that you know the fastball, the feel of the fastball command, VO, etc. Um, this the inconsistencies are the biggest worry. The mm-hmm. VO itself isn't a major concern to me because it was a it was higher VO than he had. I mean, again, we're talking about everything we're talking about in recent history with Chris Sale is small samples because he hasn't had sure. a big sample size since twenty nineteen. Yeah, but you know. He was 94, over 94 miles an hour on average with the fastball last year. He had a really good year in 2016 throwing sub 94. He had a pretty, he had a good 42 and a two thirds innings in 2021 throwing sub 94. He has succeeded with, you know, 94.2 fastball velocity in the past. He doesn't have the margin for error which is where you get some of the hard hit rates and where you get like some of the, the blowups, the, the homer per nines. We saw some big home run games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, also healthy-ish, healthy offseason for the most part. Um, you know, didn't have to undergo a surgery. Um, you know, he was, uh, they managed his innings at the end of the year, but I think you're going to see more of a healthy offseason from him. The reports from the Red Sox writers when he was traded were that, you know, he was actively working with the team and, you know, with, you know, the, you know, Cora and just kind of like actively engaged in the offseason and developing himself. So I think you're, you are going to, that lends itself to a little more of a likelihood that he comes into the year ready to go as opposed to last year where it was like a rusty mess for the sure. start. Yeah. Um, I go back and forth. Uh, the situation with Chris Sale in Atlanta is a good thing now. It's a better situation for him. You got to think it's a it's a good defense, great offense. Obviously, pitching, being a starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves is awesome for you. Um, they also don't really have a tendency to cut starts short. They're not like a, mm-hmm. a team that wants to go like five innings and, and get out of it. Um, but I, 
it's you know it's 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 a good place to pitch. That is certainly is a positive from where he was before with the Red Sox. I uh, there are a lot of negatives to me right now. Um, it's been a headache with Chris Sale as far as 100%. velocity. I can't. I, can't I, I the velocity going up and down from like ninety one. It starts in ninety five. And the 92, they're not. And I know they had some success when he was throwing 91 and 92. I understand that. Yeah, like a 10 strikeout game at like 91 and change 100%. It's just worrisome to see such fluctuations. And it does showcase that this isn't a guy who is consistent and healthy. Like that, that's to me what I'm saying. He's doing things to manage it. And he only threw 103 innings last year, which was great, the most since 2019, but still, I I don't know how many more we're going to get. So there is already that innate risk of him. And mm-hmm. then you look at what Chris Sale does right now. It's four-seamer slider changeup. And actually, to lefties, he threw sinkers more than four-seamers, believe it or not, last year. Um, and those were effective, and he got them inside to them, and that was really good, and that's cool. Didn't face many lefties, but when he did, he actually um, ended more at-bats with sinkers than he did four-seamers against lefties last year, which is great. Sliders generally just going to be very good against them, and that's that's the day against lefties. So what does he do against right-handers? I do have more worry that that four-seamer is getting worse. And that's not really mm-hmm. a pitch that it used to be. Um, and that is a little scary for Chris Sale. Meanwhile, the slider has to do more. And so does the changeup. And I remember back talking back in, in 2018, 2019, feeling like he didn't quite have the changeup of old almost. I mean, really in 2000, I, I, I take that back. The brief time I saw him in 2021 is what I'm thinking of. And I, that hasn't quite been there. Um, in the same way um, as a nullifier against right-handers. So without that as this major element too, it's it's good. And again, it's quality per inning where we're talking about it. Like him versus Shane Boz, to me, is a very interesting conversation. Because sure. on one hand, you have, sure, you have injury risk for both. And you could say whatever you want about who you expect to have more innings with. I, I'm probably going to lean um, more Boz, honestly, because he just it's just a Tommy John. And like we've seen guys many ways have a Tommy John honeymoon and Tommy John honeymoon and be more stable. While Chris Sales had all these different things scattered about and doesn't have age on his side. But whatever side you want to go on, by all means, go with that. Um, I do worry that this stuff is getting worse with Sale before it'll get, get better, really. And that element, too, does scare me. That said, 113 whip last year, 29% K rate last year. Like, there's room for it still to be successful without that. The home runs are corrected at 131 uh, homer per nine last year. Then that is why the 4-3 rate was bad for sale. Um, that can't get better. Win potential is likely better for sale mm-hmm. because Boz might end his start sooner than sale would. Um, so I don't hate it at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like I'm not touching sale. That's not what I'm talking about here. Do I think that he's inside of my four of like, I've got sale. It's good. Probably as the fourth, because I feel like quality per inning should be good enough that I am doing it. I don't, I I, I would feel more inclined to go for a fifth. um, If I had sale as my fourth in a 12 teamer, because I want to make sure that I'm not on the hook for like a hundred innings or something like that. Yes. And this is where the ADP comes into play with, Sitting at 181 right now, it's way more stomachable because you're not having to invest a draft pick that makes him one of your top three, maybe four pitchers, depending on your draft strategy. If the trade to the Braves continues to bring him up toward like 130, 140, then it becomes a little bit of a different type of gamble. I'm way more willing to take it at 180 
then I might be at 130, um, depending sure. on how I'm building my rotation. And then another factor, which is like, I understand that people don't like these things that are not quantifiable because it's it's totally subjective um, and that's hard to, to kind of like bank on. But I really do think that like there is a mental and emotional part of this game for athletes that 100% factors into how they perform on the field. And even more so with somebody like Chris Sale, who is so demonstrably emotional that we know that that he is somebody who like if he wants to go out there and he is somebody who at sometimes takes the ball and wants to go out there and shove. He's not level headed. And in a lot of in a lot of these comments after the trade, he has been very open about being like, I didn't live up to my contract in Boston. I was useless. I didn't perform. I didn't pitch. Um, you know, and he basically was like, it, it was, I feel like I didn't earn the salary that I was given. Right. And I think he's one player that like, when you're saying that, I believe that he's now going out to prove something. Um, and him now with a healthy off season, he's already throwing, um, you know, with the Braves reporters already like had watched a bullpen and whatever did all that. And so I, I think that adds into my totally subjective optimism that like, we're going to see a little bit more of a prepared version. of. No, I like that. I I dig that. Um, that is actually convincing a little bit of just saying, cool. We take all the intangibles outside of the, you know, in the team context of going to the Braves. And actually this is something I've neglected in the past too, is teams going, uh, players going from one situation to another, how much better do they get, um, and change of scenery and everything. And I've really brushed it aside before. Um, I can be more convinced though, that I should be pushing up sale a little bit, uh, just because of that, um, move to Atlanta. So, um, you convinced me a little bit more there and, uh, I, uh, I don't know if it's inside my top 30, no, it's but, probably not. I understand um, that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I might, I'm going to have to look in, inward a lot for the Boz versus sale. Um, and I'm kind of thinking maybe more sale now, but, uh, we'll see. It's very we'll risky. It's just, oh man, the health and the stuff. It's, I don't know if going to get better. It's risky. And this is, this yeah. is the year where we talked about leaning into risk and maybe we'll do that with sure. our next few pitchers who we'll talk about after this break. So before we get on with our next picture, what is the second thing that you loved opening in the mail? <laughs> or currently love opening. Um, I'm going to say it was at camp. And if it was any sort of like, uh, I mean, I started with an activity, but just anything that like everyone was excited for. And that wasn't just me, you know, so it could be like a game for us, to, all of us to play or like mm-hmm. something that like a gadget, whatever it was that getting getting like a care package at camp is just the best. Now we couldn't do food, unfortunately at my camp sure. can be sent food. So I would normally say that can't be that. Um, but yeah, that that's gotta be it. Just whatever the camp care package is. Yeah. What I went to camp in Maine with one of my best friends when we were really young and they, it was cause we were like nine years old. I think at the, this first summer, mm-hmm. they, your parents sent, uh, they, sorry, everybody, the people at the camp took the bags off the buses, like your bags of clothes and unpacked them into drawers for you mm, um, to ensure that you weren't to ensure that yeah. yeah you had all your clothes and a nine-year-old isn't responsible for putting yep. all their stuff away. Um, and my best friend like didn't know where one of his drawers was for the entire first like three weeks we were there and was just oh living gosh. in like a third of the stuff his parents sent. Oh no. But I miss camp, man. Camp was great. Yeah, camp um, back at, Camp Beckett was the best camp ever. Um, Camp Manitoba. Now, in that spirit, 
Uh, delivered. Oh no, delivered's terrible. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about really quickly of two um, two pitchers from Asia uh, who I think are going very close to each other. And they're very different. And I'm actually surprised that they're both um, this close. It's Shota Minaga and Yusei Kikuchi. And they're both around the 240 uh, NFBC ADP. Um, I think Imanaga should be absolutely targeted more so than Kikuchi. Uh, I think there are a lot of teams that need pitching right now, and they will aggressively go for it in the short term. Considering he's also 30, um, it's less about the window for years. It's more about being in a winning club now. Um, and wherever he lands, I think Imanaga is going to do great things. There is really the biggest backlash I've heard about him is that he has a, a higher uh, home run rate than you'd want in uh, an MPB, which means that maybe that will carry over into the majors. The thing is, Imanaga's four-seamer is legitimate beyond belief. I mean, this thing is, had a, the highest stuff plus across all of his pitches of any pitcher in the WBC, higher than Yamamoto. Um, incredibly low angle, uh, good IVB, like impressively high IVB for his uh, for his low arm angle, which is unheard of. And he pairs that with a cutter he gets for strikes, a splitter he gets for strikes, a slider, a curveball. Like, he is a control guy. And that's remarkable to me. Um, you are able to put guys away and you're able to actually command. That speaks to fantasy goodness in my heart and being able to go six innings consistently. That is production to me. I feel like if I draft Shota Minaga, I'm going to get my number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's your consistent guy. Um, he's going at 235 right now. Regardless of where he goes, I'm very much into it. The other concern is, is he going to be able to go every five days? Are you going to have to slow him down in some way? Is he going to be able to take the big workload right away? I think he's 30. Um, and I think that uh, this is the kind of time where you get a pitcher like this. He's not 24 or so. Like They're going to be able to do that with him, I think, out of the gate, more so than, say, Yamamoto. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of Imanaga. I think he's a polished pitcher, and I'm really excited to have him on my fantasy teams this year. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think I'm way more interested in Yamamoto. Oh, Yamamoto in Imanaga than I am in Kikuchi. Right. So, um, and maybe that's just I've been burned by Kikuchi in the in the past. I um, get it. But you want to know the thing that links Imanaga and Kikuchi truly? Their four seamers are both really good, and this is crazy to me. Uh, I actually just covered Kikuchi for the Jays this morning, and Kikuchi last year. You love pitch mix, Eric. I know you're gonna love this one. He completely ball. added a curveball out of the blue on mm-hmm. May 7th, really. I mean, it's slightly before it, but really May 7th. And axed the changeup, um, became really this four-seamer slider curveball guy with a rare changeup. And it was great. He all of a sudden had this really good strike pitch to pair, which meant the walk rate went down. The four-seamer command is still the biggest question to me. Uh, and obviously, of course, with the slider and the curveball, he did throw too many in the zone a bit and he had to just kind of fling it in there and then got hit harder than we would like it to. But it really does start with that four seamer, which has absurdly good IVB and uh, sorry, absurdly good VAA marks, absurdly good extension. Like everything is there. The IVB went down a little bit. I don't really care. As long as he has this flab and angle at 95, 96, it will soar at the top of the zone. Problem is before this past year, it was always sub 40% high location. And the league average for four-seamer is like 50%. And that's not even mm-hmm. ones that are necessarily excelling at, at being located upstairs, right? So if you were to take Kikuchi's four-seamer and make it a 60% high-lock pitch, I mean, truly, this would be like an elite four-seamer. And last year, 
Kikuchi in 2023, push that up to 47 instead of 40. Okay, there's movement, there's growth in that way. So I think the intent is starting to come around. And I think with more time, especially as the curveball showed up, that would also explain more of the intent to go upstairs because you want to tunnel better with a curveball as opposed to, say, a changeup where you might want to go low and then lower with the changeup. So I can see Kikuchi all of a sudden leaning into maybe a 55% high location on that four-seamer and then keeping that curveball and slider downstairs. And suddenly I go, wait a second, that really works especially for a team we hope with the Jays that they still have their offense uh, and can get him some wins as well. They're going to certainly lean on Kikuchi to go five, six innings. Um, that seems like a very good situation. The downside and why he's going at 250, but why I feel like it's a sleeper and someone I'm taking a chance on in my 12 teamers is of course that command has not always been there. That's been right. the biggest issue. Uh, at least we see the intent going. We see like, this is what I'm trying to do instead of being a low fastball guy. I'm actually trying to go upstairs and he had that amazing stretch once he started to include that curve. I think it was like 14 starts of a 2.7 ERA and about a 105 whip and 29% strike. I mean, like it was great stuff for 14 starts, um, nearly 100 innings then. Like that's there. Yeah. It's just, okay, can he get into that rhythm right away? And I want to take a chance of that, my 12 teamers. Right out of the gate, is he going upstairs to that fastball? Yes, I hold on to this. I keep going until it's not there mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, I think I think as you're as I'm looking at things and as you're talking, I'm realizing that I'm definitely being impacted by previous experiences having him on my roster and and not enjoy and not enjoying yeah, it. Right. And that's yeah. not the way to do things because we understand that not only did he introduce the curveball, but he made he modified the slider a little bit to make it a little harder and tighter, which makes sense when you're adding in a slower kind of like loopier breaking ball like the curveball to create a little bit more differentiate differentiation between those pitches. Um, and while the slider missed fewer bats in 2023, it was probably a better overall pitch. Um, and that might be because of the presence of the curveball. It might yeah. be because of, you know, the harder velocity. It was kind of like he threw a slider and a cutter in 2022. And it was almost like he merged them a little bit yeah. into one pitch and added the curve. Um, I guess I need to dig in more on on the four seam because I know it gets hit pretty hard. Um, yeah. And you oh, right. it's still not fifty percent. It's not right. there yet. So so so, especially when you're talking about a left handed pitcher against right handed hitters, it's the same thing you were talking about with Chris Sale. Where like is is the four seam good enough? And I'm in that point with Kikuchi. Is the four seam good enough? And then having not had the you know kind of like elite past success to fall back on like sale. Maybe I'm just not believing in it in a way that's unfair to him. So it, it takes some, it'll take some extra digging for me. Sure. And uh, there's another thing about Kikuchi too, is that the health hasn't always been there too, right? I, we have to yes. acknowledge the fact that Kikuchi is not like a 200 inning guy. It was 157 um, in 2021, 100 in 2022, 167. So he did go 32 starts this past year. Um, but there is some concern that maybe he, you know, he's had this, uh, he hasn't really got 170 innings yet. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he did go 32 straight, um, he did play in 32 games in 2022 is 29 starts in 2021. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be, especially after last year. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move from questionable four seam to not so questionable four seam <laughs> um, because my second guy is Bryce Miller. Um, Bryce Miller, who I currently have as my starting pitcher, 32. He is going off the board right now, pick 187 as starting pitcher 53. Um, 
So that's obviously a 21 starting pitcher gap for me that I felt was was worth digging into here. Um, what we do know about Bryce Miller is he has all the IVB that Nick could ever want um, <laughs> on a four-seam fastball. Uh, PLV loves it. Um, and it's, it is a pitch that he really relies on. Uh, he, he mixed, he, we understand that he kind of like really relied on it when he first came up, he started to try to introduce some of the secondaries or rely on them a little bit more as Nick and I talked about on the podcast where we went over, um, Bryce Miller, those secondaries are kind of like the big issue right now, finding something that is consistent for him that he can lean on. Um, I know that everybody is sharing the grip of his uh, driveline slider, oh, yeah, splitter. Uh, or sorry, splitter, yeah. which I know doesn't excite you that much because it's a splitter and you'd rather he need not, something and that's not, nice. Not rely that on it. Um, right. I think but, he's going to still know, have the others. It's just that yeah, he splitter maybe as a, as a thing to lefties because lefties are where he struggles the most. So, yeah, I mean, he, he introduced the sinker a little bit in the second half last year or in the second part of the year, um, which is not a swing and miss pitch, um, but was, I like the idea of relying a little bit less on the four seam and using um, or mixing in the sinker just because, you know, throwing 70% four seam, which he did in his first couple of months is not really a sustainable approach. Mm -hmm. Um, The slider did flash some swing and miss, but it's inconsistent. You know, we, we kind of talked about, that ad nauseum before so this is a little bit of just young pitcher one elite pitch um has flashed success with other pitches in the arsenal is currently in the midst of an offseason adding more pitches to round out the arsenal um really strong prospect pedigree it's really just if that pitch lands for him and he doesn't even need the splitter to be like his best pitch he just needs it to be a solid complimentary secondary right. pitch and i think you know him being taken in at 187 is going to be incredible value for you yeah it's uh it's tough because i've compared i mean it's pretty easy to do i have brian Wu in my list but i kind of skipped over him 185 is they're like right next to each other yeah and it's hard not to talk about bryce miller without talking about brian Wu because you essentially you're going to have to be on one side or the other i'm right. more on the brian Wu side I uh, because I think it's a better arsenal, but just better command um, overall. And what shouldn't be worrisome is it's just a 12% swing strike around that four seamer for Bryce Miller against the left handers mm-hmm. that, oh man, you should be able to do the same thing essentially that you do right handers. I mean, obviously we do see higher swing strike rates generally with the same handedness on four seamers still 12% for being the thing uh, is not really good sure. enough. Uh, and, that's why, okay, the splitter I get. I get why you're doing that because you really need a nullifier to, to right, to sorry, to left-handers. Like you need something. Splitter makes sense. Um, and if he finds that, then that's great. And that can be better for him against lefties. And I'm not necessarily against it. Again, splitters, I only like if it's the only other thing you've got. You got to have mm-hmm. a, a slider or a cutter or a curveball, something that's more reliable than your splitter. Then we're fine with a splitter. Um, so with Bryce, it's, I think I have less faith in his overall locations of his four seamer. And that to me just makes it more cherry bomb esque uh, than sure. it can be with Wu, who I think does take the right steps with his sinker, has done really good locations with his four seamer. Believe it or not, Wu's four seamer performed better as far as like swinging strike rates go um, than, than Miller's. Uh, yeah. Which no, is wild. So right? as you, as you know, and as we talked about a lot, like the, 
the swing and strike rates and stuff like that on a particular pitch, an individual pitch, we we love. It's it's obviously important to get a sense of what that pitch is, but those are going to be impacted by what else is in your arsenal. Exactly. Because if you don't have something that keeps them off the fat, the four seam, then that four seam is not going to miss as many bats. Um, I do think that like, you know, obviously he has a much higher swing strike rate on the four seam um, to righties because he has other pitches. He has the slider, he has the sinker um, and the swing strike rate on the four seam went up as he started introducing the sinker more because again, you're giving righties a different look. So they're not sitting on the four seam. So now you're able to miss more bats with the four seam. Um, and so obviously he's going to face far more right-handed hitters than left-handed hitters. He's been, he was really strong and I like the pitch mix against right-handed hitters. So if this splitter becomes his, you know, slider to lefties, cause the slider right now to lefties was not performing particularly well Sure. then. And again, I don't even need him to be great against lefties. I need him to be fine. fine. Yeah. Just lefties. don't get destroyed by them. Uh, right. yeah, I, uh, I'll put it this way. I think that both Brian Wu and Bryce Miller have great fastballs. We're on the same page there. Okay. If you want to say that Bryce Miller's is a little bit better, by all means, go ahead. Um, but let's just kind of, I'm just going to put that even. The thing I see about Wu is just like, well, you are a better command pitcher. And mm-hmm. I trust that you're going to battle the batter more than yourself than Bryce Miller is. And I think we've already seen it with the growth of his arsenal in season um, and that ability to have that pitch separation better and that to me is the guy i want to trust more um the thing i've been thinking about more and more about just kind of the discussions with stuff and plv and location plus and everything is there's kind of like this baseline of stuff that i uh, doesn't really matter if you don't have a baseline of command yes agreed. and i think that that baseline of command is way more reliable with woo than it is with bryce miller and I'm going to invest in that. And the thing about command, which is a very, very good point, is it's harder to predict command. It is less stable. It is. Uh, it takes longer for us to get any sort of at any point of understanding that this is more data than noise, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially like 270 pitches or something. For actually, quote unquote, stabilized, it doesn't mean that like this is what it is. It just means it's more information than just noise. So. I get why we're very hesitant to put any sort of quantified labels on guys having better command or not. That said, watch a game of Wu, watch a game of Bryce Miller. You'll understand yes. that Wu is able to spot and actual sequence and do things more. Not to say that he's a lead at it, but I trust that Wu's going to be able to do it more than Miller. And that's why I'm going to lean on Brian Wu more for the season ahead. I, I don't I don't begrudge you that at all. <laughs> um, I mean, they're both like undervalued, though. Both like uh, yeah. one ninety, right? Yeah, uh, one eighty seven for um, Miller and one eighty four for Wu. Yes, right? that's so. right, people. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is like they're both guys I want. They're both yeah. guys that like I would have on my team, and I don't feel like I'm going to drop for the entire year. Yeah, I, I, I'm in and, on I, both. and again, we'll you know these are things we've talked about on the last podcast as well, but like especially with Bryce Miller, you'll know in spring training because Mm. if there hasn't been, if there's no evidence in spring training games of a improved usable secondary pitch, you're not going to, I'm probably going to drop him down, right? This this, is, this is ranking based on what I believe to be growth that we will see. It's not, you know, guaranteed. So we'll we'll have to watch this. This is like a Kirby versus Gilbert 2.0. Um, 
where I feel like Bryce Miller is Logan Gilbert and Brian Wu is George Kirby in this situation. That's how I feel. And I know it sounds so silly, but I'm going to call them Wooler moving forward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wooler. That's it. Just Wooler. Love it. I mean, hand me the Wooler. Is this how funny? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to. Oh, that's some people just, it's going to trigger them, you know? Um, we're going to get to the next thing Nick likes to open and our remaining starting pitchers after this break. So, what is your third favorite thing you like to open? And then I guess we're going to your fourth pitcher. Uh, what do I like to open? I mean, I have to go with this. Uh, it's a new keyboard, man. There's nothing quite like that. It's like it's like a gift. Like, oh my gosh, look at the three hours I have ahead of me to make this look so good. And I'm so curious how this types and sounds. So, there you go. Uh, mechanical keyboards are great. If you want to buy one off me, by all means, come you talk do, to me. You but do love get rid of a lot you, of them. You do love them. They're very. Uh, they're. It changes the game, you know. It I'm does. so used to a laptop; it was fun. It's, it's it's like you don't know what you're missing, and I feel like in some ways I'm an enabler in that way because you can just live ig- ignorantly, and that's nice. You know, there's a phrase like that, right? And uh, but once you understand it, it's just well, okay. I need this life for myself. Yeah. And what do you need for yourself in terms of your next starting pitcher? Uh, okay, so this is the last one before like we go into the real true absurdly ignored guys right there's one more that's inside the top 300 that i just feel is not getting the love that he deserves and that's tristan mckenzie Mm -hmm. um he's at 247 right now and i think in many ways we can kind of look at tristan mckenzie as if it were this time last year where he was going far earlier than this and the really interesting part of tristan mckenzie is i've always considered him as a really good long-term pitcher because he is so skinny and it's only a matter of time before he develops the actual strength across his lower body that allows him to get more stability and truly elevate his fastball, you know, consistently. Um, He has, I think it's 20 IVB over the last two years, which is just unreal and unheard of and explains so much why that 92 mile per hour fastball, 93, succeeds so well in the zone. And in 2022, that... Curveball from Tristan McKenzie was absurdly good. Yeah. I mean, it, it was beautiful. And those two pitches alone, I mean, sure, you have a slider that he needs to get more command on. And I would say his overall volatility of what I saw in 2022 that made me a little hesitant entering last year before, of course, all the injuries changed things. Um, I don't care at this point. It's like 250. Obviously, he had some injury and everything like that. And the two starts he came back, I, I think that's depressing the value. But like, can you really grade like two starts back where he clearly didn't have any sort of rhythm? And he was just rushed back to get that those starts and like, okay, cool. I'm in the majors again. Get that out of the way. Uh, ignore it completely, please. And Tristan McKenzie, yeah, absolutely take a shot on this at 250. Uh, they're just going to let him start the entire year. Go get him. Can I ask you, because I, I I'm having trouble this offseason really landing on how I feel about Tanner Bybee and, and Gavin Williams. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder if, I think people are maybe leaning with the young arms a little bit more and i feel like maybe mckenzie's just the better bet what's the of difference all of i mean yeah, what's the difference there's a big difference they're they're all actually come to think of they're all very different um the skill sets are vastly across the board different like bybee does not have what i think is a good four seamer um he has a good change up and a good slider now is it as well commanded as like a carlos carrasco situation i don't think so and i think that's why i'm more out on bybee but it is a good slider and the changeup does well against lefties, and that's pretty cool. 
Uh, you have Gavin Williams, who doesn't really actually have the greatest pitch shape, uh, but he does dominate upstairs with that four-seamer more so than uh, than Bybee does. The question is, all right, are you going to get comfortable with your curveball and your slider enough? When he does, it's that 12-strikeout game against the Jays. When he doesn't, it's more of the volatility for innings of five and runs and walks and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know really what kind of development we're going to see from Gavin Williams. I was more in on him before when I thought the fastball shape was better, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And I have more concerns now about Williams, and Bybee seems a little bit safer at the moment. Now, then there's Tristan McKenzie, who is this, hey, I have a dope curveball and a fastball that has performed really well. And uh, could be better with more stability, more strength, and just better uh, focus of going upstairs with it. And that seems pretty cool. Um, so I don't know where I'm going to rank the three of them. I think for safe reasons, I mean, obviously injury is a thing with uh, McKenzie now. Duh. We don't have that against Bybee, for example. Um, so cool. Tanner Bybee will probably be above Gavin Williams. And Tristan McKenzie is not going to really be far behind them. Um, but it's, yeah, they're pretty close and the gap right now is far bigger than I expected it to be. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm also a little surprised because McKenzie has previously been like a darling in a sense. Um, Mm. and a lot of people like, I don't have last year's ADP in front of me right now, but I believe he was, a lot of people were really in on him, um, as a potential, not a breakout per se, but as like a, a young pitcher with plenty of upside. Sure. Um, and then injuries have obviously tainted um, that opinion to the extent where now I do agree with you. I think I was not really in on him previously as this kind of like huge upside pitcher, but I think now he's being undervalued in a way where um, he has earned um, a little bit more of that, that kind of sleeper yeah. or he's garnered my attention a little bit. Yeah. More. The, I mean, so let's just look at back at 2022 quickly for Tristan McKenzie, like versus lefties versus righties. This is what I'm doing more and more often. And I highly recommend everybody use mm-hmm. our splits on our player pages. They're faster now than they used to be, which is great. Um, against right-handers, nothing is above a 40% ICR. Uh, his swing strike rate on his curveball that year was 29%. Uh, strike rate 71% on the four seamer with 12% swing strike rate. I want that to be better, but also his high luck was just 50%. And I feel that if Tristan McKenzie can get that higher up, that can be a 14, 15% with that big curveball um, and a solid strike rate on the the slider as well. And against lefties, uh, the biggest concern is, of course, that that four seamer, you would think 9% swing strike rate, but he still didn't allow the big jump up in ICR that I thought it would be. I thought it'd be like 45% or something. Nope. It's right around 40%. The slider was inconsistent, um, but the curveball was great. And there you go. Like that's Tristan McKenzie. You know, it's surprising to me that all this stuff just kind of worked. Um, And he had higher strike rates. than I imagined all of those are above a 60% all the time. Like I thought this would be uh, something worse, but no, that's why he had a 6% strike rate. Um, decent swing strike rates, good ICR rates, like across the board with this, the slider needs to be get, needs to get a little bit more consistency. Um, but yeah, I mean, 47% O swing on the curveball is legit, uh, against righties. That's so good. And don't overlook that. I mean, it's nice to have like three pitches that he just trusts with it for the most part, two and a half slider needs to get a little better. Yeah. The pitcher I'm going to talk about also has had his, the, the shine shown off um due to injuries but he's much he's much older um it's kenta maeda uh and kenta maeda is currently going 
pick 248. Uh, he is the 71st starting pitcher off the board, which to you is probably fair value based on your uh, last version of the list, which obviously could change over time. Um, I have him just outside of my top 40. And I think that Kenta Maeda was better last year than many people give him credit for. Yeah. Uh, the 420, the 423 ERA um, was supported with a 378 Sierra. He had a 20.8% uh, K minus walk rate, which I like. He had a 12.5% swinging strike rate, 29.5% uh, CSW, which is solid, fine. 41.1% uh, ICR, which is below average, um, not great. We know that he is uh, primarily a splitter pitcher. If you're talking about like, right-handed, left-handed, as we mentioned before, you know he really kind of leans on the on the splitter versus lefties and the slider versus righties. Um, has a four seam, has a sinker, has a curveball. You know, has a little bit of a, a kitchen sink approach, but um, he's primarily splitter four seam or slider four seam, depending on the handedness of um, the batters. But for me, it's just like, I don't think there's anything overly exciting about this, right? You're talking about a guy who's, you're maybe, if you need some stability at the end of your rotation, um, he's not an upside play in the sense that you're not going to, I don't believe you're going to see a jump back up to like, you know, when he had the 381 ERA in, with the Dodgers or his really good 2020, which was, you know, uh, 11 starts in the that COVID shortened year where he was lights out um but i think that you know him being a high threes era pitcher with you know just under 10k per nine is entirely feasible uh, the the whip has always been relatively solid except for 2021 where you know things got out of hand a little bit um and a lot of that some of that had to do with walk rate some of that had to do with you know um an exacerbated home run uh you know per nine issue um, but you know, I think you're getting like a, a whip around one, one point one eight, one two, maybe, um, which again, at this late in the draft, fine, um, moves to a slightly better pitchers park in Detroit. The team context isn't actually that much worse than the team context in Minnesota. I understand Minnesota has historically been a better team than the Tigers, but I think if you're looking at their potential performances in, in 2024, I don't think you can say Minnesota is definitely a much better team than than the Tigers are. Um, you know, Javi Baez, for all his faults as an offensive player, is still a really good defender to have behind you, um, in particular as a guy who is a splitter pitcher who will hopefully be relying on ground balls. Um, that's another thing where I think there could be some positive growth. Uh, his fly ball rate was just ridiculous last year, 47.5% fly ball rate for a pitcher that has a 38% career fly ball rate. It was 10% higher than basically any than his worst other season in terms of fly ball rate. So I think that, and I don't think that that is just because of who he quote unquote is as a pitcher. Now, I think that will regress a little bit more closer to the mean. The ground ball rate will go up a little bit more because again, sinker sliders should create more ground balls. Um, and I do think that's probably why the Sierra was suggesting a little bit better results. So this is a, a not exciting pick that I think maybe is geared more toward like 15 team leagues. Or if you did some really risky stuff with your rotation in 12 team leagues early on and you just want something stable at the end. 
Um, but I, I think Kenta Maeda is being undervalued right now. So I want to agree with you a lot. And I think generally, yes, because at the end of your drafts, will that take a chance at it after he came back from injury? Maeda was a way better pitcher than he was when he initially started. Um, it's it's just not even close. Like he was he was just fantastic for you after that ten earned run game on April twenty sixth, and then it was yeah. essentially he came back on the twenty third and was fantastic for the rest of the year. He only had one game above three hundred runs after that, and uh, that was fantastic. So so don't really look at the four two three ERA and be like oh well he's not very good. I mean he's a guy who's had a strikeout rate above twenty five percent pretty much always, and that's very valuable to have. So that's the positive of Kenta Maeda goes to Detroit. It should be fine. And I feel 12 teamers. Yeah, it's cool having Kenta Mayan in your team. That's good. There are some negatives that are a little worrisome. Um, and the tough thing that we do is, you know, our job as analysts are is is to look at the previous year and the previous years or whatever. And instead of just saying, cool, let's give a real proper report about what 2023 should have been. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Do we think that there this is going to be the same as we saw? And like, it's going to be a different version of that. Is it going to be better or is it going to be worse? And the worry I have about Maeda is that his slider got worse and had less drop. And that's a major reason for that increase in fly balls. Yes. Uh, the four-seamer uh, was not low anymore. This used to be a low-called strike pitch for him. And its low lock-off sum was 20% and in his heyday it was like 40% or so against right-handers here. So what I'm seeing is the four-seamer and sinker getting destroyed, like absolutely obliterated by right-handers and the slider getting worse and that made made things plenty worse for me but i think it was like a 15 percent swing strike rate uh for right-handers with that slider and that used to be something that was 26 percent, 20 percent. like that used to be the thing you used to be throwing these 50 percent of the time 2020 2021 maeda would just throw tons of sliders and get all of the whiffs and all the strikes and that fell down to 16 percent uh in 2023 uh 36 usage so that's kind of scary to me. And that's really the thing. If Without that slider from Maeda against right-handers, it gets iffy because the splitter, I don't think, is as good of an offering. Um, it's solid. Good amount of O-swing, 49% O-swing is what you want to see. But because of the zone rate, um, it when it is in the zone, it does get hit a little bit harder. And if he has to rely on that for strikes, then that's going to be more of an issue. Um, and against lefties, the splitter was good. It just wasn't like the greatest thing ever that it needed to be uh 58% strike rate. Once again, only an 18% swing strike rate. So I I'm kind of worried about Maeda in this way of, okay, can you get your slider back to what it was? And, sure. and the, the fastballs being so bad, yeah. like really, they are, they are really, really bad. The, the called strike rate against lefties. Okay. 20%. I guess I'll take that. The uh, against force against right handers, you know, back in the day it was like 25% and such, 20% now. And oh boy, okay, uh, 58% ICR on the 40 four seamer, just so, yeah. and this is 25% usage. The sinker tried to nullify that a little bit, but that was still 46%. Um, I'm, I'm a little scared about it. I would say take the chance at this point in the draft, all fine. I prefaced it with that. Right. Um, I am worried that it's going to get worse for Maeda. Maybe it did. It did get better as the year went on in terms of his overall numbers because, well, right. Obviously, right. His, June twenty third. Right. Yeah. His fir- his first four outings were bad. 
Um, or not bad. They were not really just like that great. tenor and run one was yeah, like, okay, was, not, was life isn't yeah. good, but I'm hurt. Um, it's all right. All right. He, he missed Tommy. He missed 2022 with Tommy John. Then he had a tricep strain and he was out almost another two months yeah. um, in the middle of the season. And his final 83 plus, I think I forget exactly what it was, but when he came back um, at the end of June was pretty solid. Um, oh yeah, you know. no, absolutely. And so, and I know you mentioned that before, and I, I think so. If we're gonna, if we're gonna say he was pretty good coming back from injury while one of his major pitches was underperforming, then you get to okay, is that pitch lost or can he regain it? Um, and to me, it's a gamble I'm willing to take at the end of drafts, and another gamble that like we've talked about. I like gambles that I can tell right or you know if I'm right or yeah, wrong sure. quickly. And so Kenta Maeda is a it's like watch his slider in spring training. Um, if it doesn't look like he has the slider that we're used to seeing, you know, Nick pointed out the the lack of vertical movement. So watch the drop on it. You know, watch uh, you can watch what hitters look like on it. Are they making hard contact? Whatever. Um, if the slider appears to be back or appears to be improved, and that slider and splitter are you know working for him, then he's not going to have to rely on the the four seam. Um, as much as he did in the second half of the year. Uh, and I think that you're going to get solid value at the end of drafts. But again, I don't think you're getting like the 2020 version of Maeda. So nobody should be picking him based on him being like eventually being your SP2 or SP3. But can he be a stabilizing force at the end of your rotation that remains on your roster for the entire year is where I think the the undervalue for him is. Yeah. Currently. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, just just focus on that slider to right-handers. Is he getting yeah. the whiffs they used to? You know, um, um, that's a huge deal. So, what's the final thing you like opening? And and we're gonna kind of run through some late pitchers here, where we're not gonna go as in depth because we're talking about like deeper, deeper guys. Mm. Surprise packages from a name that you know, like you had no expectation. It doesn't matter what it is. They just sent you something that's like, oh, I know this person, but like, why am I getting this? You know. Uh, that it doesn't matter what's inside of it. Um, those are the best care packages, the ones that have no, it's not even like Christmas, it's not even your birthday, mm. just like a random thing showing up from someone that you respect. So if you know Nick and you know his address, because he's <laughs> not he's not giving it out on this podcast, just send him send him something. There you go. Just <laughs> thinking of you. Um so who are some of these pitchers? You know, we mentioned it before. We're we're not going to go as in depth with some of the guys who are super deep leagues. Um, but who are some of the ones you think people should pay attention to? Okay, so I have I literally wrote down like six of them that are just like past four hundred, and I'm just going to mention their names. And I can I can see all of these massively going uh, north as far as uh, ADP goes by the time March rolls around. Um, so if Robert Gasser wins a spot with the Brewers, mm-hmm. um, I, I looked at it today. Hauser was dealt. It's Ashby at four. There's Joe Ross, who I just can't take seriously mm-hmm. as an actual rotation piece. Robert Gasser should have been called up. Really, we were thinking he would around like August or September last year. Um, there's Colin Ray as well. who might be fighting for that last spot now. But even Ashby isn't necessarily guaranteed to have it, too even though we think he's going to do well, and I'm sure you might even mention Gass, uh, Ashby now. Um, but uh, but uh, but Gasser is someone who uh, has a very flat arm angle and isn't actually a massive slinger. Um, he could be a very interesting uh, pitcher with fastball slider as well. Um, same team, Wade Miley. 
I believe it or not, it was like a 320 ERA last year in 100 innings. What? Uh, <laughs> he's a really good command guy and he's super boring and he might go only 80 pitches or so for five innings, but there is certainly value to be had uh, with Wade Miley this year. Keep an eye on Casey Mize to see how he's recovering from Tommy John. Don't ignore that. I mean, if he's if he's there, I know it's it's a full rotation at the moment, but I imagine Reese Olsen and Sawyer Gibson Long get pushed back while Mize gets welcomed mm-hmm. um, into that rotation. He's going to be certainly fighting for that rotation spot. And if he has that number five, then there you go. Nick Martinez is in Cincinnati now. Um, we talked about his changeup before, but that changeup is like a Marco Strada one. Incredible. I think it's going to increase its usage. Uh, there's JP Sears uh, with a really good fastball, fantastic VAA on it. Fantastic slider for strikes as well can improve the changeup. And there is growth to be had there. And believe it or not, he's probably going to get more than five wins with the Oakland Athletics. And that's cool. He gets seven or eight there, especially going through a full season. That's great. But the last one I'm going to talk about, Matt Manning. I know it sounds crazy because I should not care about Matt Manning at all. I like, I didn't think I would. I think it's just not enough. It's good. I talked to the Detroit Free Press and they were like, I, I compare him to Zach Wheeler. I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. That sounds ridiculous. And then I looked at his pitch shapes as fastball. It's actually kind of close. Um, it's just that Matt Manning needs to elevate properly more and just keep up the 95 mile per hour fastball that he's hinted at before. But if he does, Matt Manning's fastball actually could miss bats upstairs. And the slider is a very solid offering now as well. Obviously, the curveball is not what it used to be. But Matt Manning, I'm just going to throw out there as like my super sleeper of just if he has that 95 velocity. And we've seen this before. Guys go from like 92, 93 and jump up to that 95 mark in in the offseason. We've seen Matt Manning at 95 before. Then all of a sudden, the four-seamer becomes something different that may work upstairs a ton. So not going to completely count him out. Those are your super sleepers for me, way outside of the top 300 picks. Love it. Um, I've got some. I went kind of like 400 and deeper. I did want to keep mentioning uh, my guy, Griffin Canning, um, who's going pick 291 and starting pitcher 82. I believe that's still uh, really undervalued for him. Um, And then some names I'm um, intrigued by outside of the top 400. You already mentioned Aaron Ashby going 428 and Casey Mize going 445. Um, Those are guys that intrigue me. I talked last podcast about Garrett Whitlock. Um, who's going pick 430. Um, a little bit earlier is Eric Fetty going 410. No, don't do this. Um, don't do this. I'm, I'm only going to do this. I, don't I'm trust in- the feds. I'm intrigued enough to watch spring training starts because we <laughs> because we have all these reports that, he's, that he changed his pitch mix um, in Korea. And we don't have like a, we just don't have a lot of data though to suggest like what exactly it was and what is he using and how is it different. But we know... Um, in particular, because man, I'm blanking on um, the guy in the White Sox organization who tweeted out that he was with Eddie Eric Fetty at Driveline when he was working on the new pitch mix before going o- abroad. Um, but oh, anyway, we have verified um, acknowledgement from somebody in the organization that signed him that they know that he reshaped he he changed his pitch mix. We've okay. seen it with Miles Michaelis. We've seen it with Merrill Kelly that guys can come back and have more success after playing abroad and kind of tweaking their approach. So I just, I'm curious. I just want to see what it looks like. I'm not suggesting okay. yeah. that he is, you know, Merrill Kelly, or whatever. Absolutely. Um, Will Warren at 522. I don't know what the Yankees are going to do. I yeah, imagine this is the number five, right? I imagine they're going to sign another starting pitcher and then I'm not going to be as interested in Will Warren, but maybe, maybe they won't. I mean, who really knows? 
Um, and then I can't, I understand there's like nothing about him that's particularly good um, other than he throws hard, but uh, there was, there were some things Luis Medina was doing at the end of last year where he went sinker heavy. He leaned into the slider. There were a couple of starts that were like, this is intriguing just at the sense that he is ADP 560 right now and is probably um, in the A's rotation. And I understand the command is a mess. And I understand that like he may be a, a multi-inning reliever as part of his, you know, actual future. But, you know, he's 24 years old. He's going to start in the rotation, I believe. He flashed some intriguing elements to his pitch mix. Um, and so I'm curious to see if there's any growth whatsoever in that. And then I also just want to mention, I really like Connor Phillips at 567. There doesn't seem to be a spot for him. Um, so I can't see myself taking him, but we've seen weird things happen in spring training. Um, you know, we know Frankie Montas has battled some injuries. Uh, you know, a Andrew Abbott, like Brandon Williamson, none of those guys are like, oh, they have to have this spot over Connor Phillips. So there is a small chance where they ease Nicodolo in at the start of the year. Phillips outpitches Abbott and Williamson in spring training, and they decide to let Connor Phillips get a crack at the opening day rotation. In particular, if they do go with a six-man rotation, which you suggested could be possible based on their names, then he's a name I'm, I'm at least looking at because I like the underlying talent. And if a role appears to open, um, I would be, I'm intrigued by him going around pick 600 right now. All right. Well, I, a couple things. One about Connor Phillips directly. Command is terrible. Uh, I love yes. the four steamer shape. Really do. And I'm not just saying the command is terrible because he walked three guys to start a game in 12 pitches and got pulled. I'm saying because watching him, it's really hard to believe that he's going to be able to do the Blake Snell blueprint properly or at least get that four-seamer upstairs with consistency at the moment. Right. I hope he can because I want to see it. The, the four-seamer should absolutely dominate. I mean, I think the stuff plus on it was the same as like Hunter Green's essentially mm -hmm. uh, because he has ex the extensions there, the VAs, all the stuff is there. Um, it's just about give me the opportunity and like actually locate that upstairs, please. Um, with Luis Medina, um, it's a slider that's interesting. It showed up. I remember yeah, this yes. writing the roundup at time, like oh, and then I think one start maybe the curveball too, but that's it, unfortunately. But I think going going to the sinker helped. It did, the slider, was better. It was a better but, uh, ICR and everything than yes. the four seamer. Yes. But it is not. It is again. This is why we're talking about somebody who's five sixty. It's it's gross. It's just yeah. I'm 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 I can't shake the feeling that there's something more in there. Yeah, um, the fastball saw. shape is terrible. Like terrible. I like him Even to at 96, not use it's like, oh no. Yeah. I would like him to not um use the four seam as much. Yeah. Yeah, I am with you there. Uh, I don't know if he has a command to make the sinker work. If you're gonna be a sinker guy, it's gotta be like Bassett, you know, where it's okay, cool. I know how to have a variety of pitches that will make my sinker have all these called strikes, or it needs to be like uh, you know, a keikle around the zone, that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, to really live with a sinker. And I don't know if Medina does that, but I get it. And also the other part is like the winds of the athletics. Is <laughs> right, also for thing. sure. Yes. Yeah, you know, sure. uh, but I'm with you that there was a moment that I streamed Medina last year. So mm -hmm. that's pretty cool to see at past 500. 
Um, I do want to make a correction, by the way. I was saying before that Maeda lost drop on his slider. That is incorrect. He actually gained a bit um, from uh, two years ago. I remember I was, I was saying, I was like, wait, hold on. Am I flipping these two numbers? I was. The uh, the change really more so was that he had more high lock on the pitch to cause more of the fly balls. Um, but uh, that is interesting. He actually had a little extra uh, movement on it. I guess maybe the feel of it. So it does put a little bit of a ding on the argument I was saying against Maeda. So maybe I'm a little bit more intrigued now. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not as bad of a uh, um, pitch change that I thought it was before. But then what the heck, man? 50% swing striker versus 20-25. You got to get it back. <laughs> get it back, buddy, please. Cool, thanks. Um, but yeah, I didn't want... I, look, make a mistake. You admit it. Everybody moves on. It's good. Exactly. I don't want to give you guys bad information. Nobody. We don't need to hold to opinions <laughs> if we, we can have new, exactly. more accurate ones. There it is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that we're starting to get into the nitty gritty of, of some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what do we have uh, coming up on the uh, the docket for these OTC podcasts? Yeah, we've got, so, we got some really fun ones uh, coming your way. We do have some stuff, some stuff coming up. I'll just kind of give you guys the, a little bit of a taste, not in particular order. Um, I will be dropping my top 100. Um, before Nick goes through his top 300, um, which we will then start breaking down. Uh, We're going to go into some prospect starting pitchers. Nick has been hammering prospect starting pitchers. Feels so good about talking about them. (laughs) Uh, So so we're going to go through those. Uh, We've got some starting pitchers that we have to roster. So this is kind of like a my guys sort of. Yeah. So um, less about like the sleepers, just be like, all right, we're putting our flags down. Like these are the ones that we love. And then as we get closer, we've got, you know, starting pitchers we're targeting, those we're avoiding. We've got, you know, storylines of the spring. We'll be looking at guys, you know, I do columns all the time about um, pitchers with new pitches um, and wh- how that how that introduction of that pitch changes their arsenal. So as we start to see things like that pop up in spring training, Nick and I will talk about whether that makes any sort of meaningful difference, um, you know, with that particular, to that particular pitcher. Yeah, so we we're, we're getting... We're getting yeah, into we the nitty gritty training that I uh, like. There's so many guys that change their pitch mix. There are also guys that get opportunities or not. The things that are sticking out. Uh, that's our podcast to kind of go through all the ones and be like, okay, hold on a second. We got to kind of change our direction here. Yes. Um, and, you know, understanding also that sometimes uh, we say, oh, this, this pitch, we got to report this pitcher throwing this new pitch. And yeah, they'll no. throw it like, you know, six, seven times in spring training. Um, and then nothing. It's not actually exactly. part of. It's not actually part of what they're doing. One of our favorite things with uh, Fast was uh, he had a Bart Simpson writing on the blackboard. Uh, I will not draft a pitcher based on a new pitch in spring. See, I, I can't. Sometimes I, sometimes I will. Sometimes I will. <laughs> depends. It, depends on the depends. pitcher. It depends on the it pitch. Depends on the pitcher. Depends on the pitch. It depends on all the things I it's see like about nuance is a thing. You know. Yes, I know it's crazy. It's like not a one size fits all. <laughs> um, but we're going to dive back in. We'll see you more next week. Uh, next week, we are going to talk about prospect starting pitchers. Um, so this will also be for redraft. It's not just for all you dynasty heads out there. Um, so everybody, make sure you check that out. Um, I am Eric Smolski, the Pelican. I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And I'm going to go prepare Nick's care package. <laughs> <laughs>